The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. Yeah, that's, you know, it's fine. It's what, 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 I don't know. It doesn't make it a real recording if you don't have technical difficulties in the beginning, right? It's it's so true, man. (laughs) It's so true. I feel like every session I do, no matter what kind of session, there has to be one weird thing that just doesn't work. It's like it's a rule or something. Yeah, no matter how many times you try, you never unplug or plug anything. I didn't touch anything. It's not working now. It's the fucking gremlins, man. <laughs> Welcome to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon. And today you're talking about the song Mankind with Brad Lyons from the... Uh, fuck. <laughs> You almost said your own podcast, man. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> so good. Please leave that in there, dude. That was adorable. I heard it. You go from the, and I heard the B start. And then it was like, fuck, I lost it. Oh, dude. I mean, obviously, you do whatever you want to do, but that was fun. No, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Season 4, Episode 16 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, and today we have our guest from the Single Podcast Theory get-together. We got Brad the Lion Lions with us. What's up, man? Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, yeah, no problem. I like, uh, you know, I want to talk to everybody, talk to all the people from all the podcasts and stuff. Hell yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. And uh, the song we're talking about today is Good Old Mankind. Hell yeah. <laughs> the uh, the Stone Gossard project here yeah. that uh, gets thrown in on the album that when you're listening to it the first time, you're like, whoa, wait, huh? What? Where's Eddie? Ah, shit. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I've changed, I've, I've kind of changed course a little bit on this one, like we were talking about before we started... Uh, doing the doing the episode so i'm sure we'll get into all that oh yeah uh but but first since this is the first time that i've had you on and i'm married to the uh the conceit of this podcast and the uh sort of format that i have thrown together i have to ask you brad when did you first hear of pearl jam let's see i was in i actually remember it very very well i was in i i I believe it's seventh grade. Um, and I was just fortunate to have two uh, of my best friends, or three of my best friends actually, kind of growing up, and we're still really close, were uh, the kind of outlets to cool music that never no one ever heard uh, before because they had older brothers and sisters. So they were kind of like, you know, late high school, early college age, and more plugged into to kind of may, maybe whatever the underground or new scene was um, at the time. And I remember that's how I'd heard through 
through those friends is how I'd heard Bleach for the first time and then and then Pearl Jam because I was in class and my friend Nick his older brother had handed them him the 10 CD and uh they weren't popping on MTV yet any of that kind of stuff and I just remember I mean in hindsight it's easy to say but something definitely changed when I heard that band for the first time I heard 10 for the first time and that was kind of at the same time that I'd found Zeppelin. So mm-hmm. those two things just kind of took me over and sent me down on a, a completely different path. So I remember the desk I was sitting in. I remember holding that, <laughs> that kind of pinkish magenta CD cover in my hand going, what the fuck is this going to be? You know, so that was it. I went home and listened to it and made a, I remember I ripped a, a tape. I, bounced it onto cassette tape and gave Nick the CD back. And then I just listened to the tape forever until I finally bought the CD done deal. And the rest is history. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So we got this song here. Uh, looks like they first played it at their, uh, 96 Showbox show where they played a bunch of other no code songs. And, uh, for everybody who has their Polaroids out, you're going to find this as uh, number four in uh, all your sets in the C, O, D, and E's on there. It's either going to be like a sort of crayon drawing of something or whatever, or like an amoeba weird looking thing. And to me, it kind of, they both kind of have a horizontal orientation that kind of looks like it's reaching off to the right. So I don't know subliminally. It's like, oh, that's stone side. So that's what you're, that's what you're getting over here. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to derail it, but I don't think you can talk about this. It's not specifically about this song, but just the idea of the Polaroids. Again, um, I know it's a common topic for Pearl Jam. That's one of the things that fans love about them is their the kind of artwork and packaging. The thought goes into it, but man. You know, you talk about, I remember holding that 10 CD for the first time, uh, but I also remember opening up the the CD and the vinyl for the first time and getting all these postcards falling out. And mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty incredible. You know, at that, at that age, I'd never, I don't know, I'd never experienced packaging like that, as weird as that sounds. It made an impact on the record for me in a, in a real way. They were talking that, uh, and I, I didn't mention it, which... I, which is bad on my job, but that uh, the I think the the sort of Polaroid concept was uh, kind of based off of somewhat the Talking Heads album uh, songs about more or more songs about buildings and food. Right. Yeah, I'd heard that. I believe. Well, and that's what's so cool about them too is they're like Pearl Jam. I feel like is the perfect example of. Um, right, because they didn't steal. I mean, they did steal the idea. But they made it their own, and I think that's what most great art... What's the old cliche, like, um, that great artists steal or something like that? I think that's kind of true. Like, take this this idea that you loved from someone else and figure out how to make it your own. I feel like they do that with their music, too. I think it kind of runs through everything they do. Yeah, and and speaking of stealing, I think that's kind of what this song is about possibly 
because it's it's very yeah stone said that he was trying to write a a pop song and uh then we we wind up with this but lyrically it kind of uh can go back to sort of all the other grunge acts and stuff like that people trying to hop on to the seattle sound or this this popular sound at the time and getting everybody else getting signed and making the videos and tours and everything like that and it's kind of like hey we were here first we originated it whatever and you got all these people kind of ripping you off or whatever yeah i mean those lines like um it's just inadvertent simulation and then he says uh what's got the whole world faking if it's just And in context, you're totally right. Sometimes it's, it's sometimes you just listen to a song, right? But when you, it's fun to think about songs in terms of when they came out. And again, with me kind of taking a turn of this being kind of a skippable song for me for so much of my uh, Pearl Jam fandom, that to kind of know that he wrote this out of frustration. It, it seems like from reading some of the the. There's not a lot of interviews about Stone talking about mankind, but, you know, the little bit that there's there, I do remember that he mentioned just being kind of frustrated and everyone was um, in the same interview. You know, he was talking about everyone bringing in all these ideas. And I don't know. I think the thing that I again, the thing that I hated about it was that Eddie wasn't singing it. And now the thing I appreciate it on that album is for the fact that Eddie isn't singing it. It's mm-hmm. completely done a kind of like a 180 for me. So yeah, I think that uh, this and at least for me, uh, I'm open. Were kind of like the two disappointing tracks from this album because it's kind of like ah, you know, you got Stone singing, ah, man, I want Eddie, and then I'm open. It's kind of like oh, I got some weird poetry sort of thing going on, and I don't know, it doesn't feel like a real song. At least you know, back in the day, that's that's how it was, and now it's kind of like oh, I appreciate the whole thing, the whole. The whole art piece of it. Yeah, man. Like, I even appreciate things. Yeah, no, I'll just echo that and say that all the things that I maybe normally would have skipped. You know, if I just put Pearl Jam on shuffle and, I don't know, Sweet Lou comes on, I'm probably going to skip it, right? But (laughs) if I put on uh, a record to listen to whether it's literally the vinyl or I'm in the car for a while and I want to listen to a whole record, then I definitely don't skip bugs anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't skip those songs anymore because I, I feel like, again, it's, I think it's probably an age maturity thing. And I think Brad and I actually touched on this recently um, in one of our conversations, just that, I think when I was younger, I looked at something like Ark, maybe, or or Bugs, or whichever one you want to pick of the quote-unquote weird ones, and I felt like it was solely just to be weird, mm-hmm. and I didn't like that. I, and if that was the, still the case, I still wouldn't like it, but now I see that they weren't—well, I think Eddie was just trying to—I think he was, whether he would admit it or not, there, there had to have been a move there to kind of like— cleared the decks a little bit they had gotten so huge and i think it was important to him and the band or mainly for maybe eddie more than the band that that people liked them for who and what they really were not this grunge caricature thing right mm-hmm. and so 
the I respect that, but I also think that Eddie and the band they're like they're true artists, right? And I feel like true artists don't get hung up on things like, well, is our are our fans going to think this is too weird, right? They do, they make the thing whether it's weird or not with no I don't feel like any of them are sitting down going you know, Stone, I don't think, sits down and goes, I'm going to write the next Alive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it again. Like, he's, I think he's done, he's past that. That was decades ago. You know what I mean? He's not, he did that. He's not interested in it. And so those weird songs are really them just having the balls to say, this is really what we want to put out. And you can like it or not. And I think that's, unbelievably valuable and something that if you are a songwriter or in a band i think it's a good kind of lesson to take because that's the reason why they're still together and making records is that they at the end of the day stick to what they want to do and that includes putting mankind on a record you know (laughs) yeah i remember when i was in bands and stuff like that when i was in high school and stuff kind of uh Everybody else was playing punk music, mm-hmm. and we were the only ones that were kind of like, oh, you know, I want to write one song in one style and then do another song in another style and just kind of, it's all, you know, rock or whatever, but we'll have slow songs and we'll have, you know, we'll have faster sort of punk songs and stuff like that. And so when we play with other bands, it's kind of like, oh, we don't really fit in with them and everything. And because like we were looking at ourselves like, no, we want to be, you know, like Pearl Jam, do what they do where they can you know, each song is its own creation and not like be stuck in a box of, you know, this is our style. This is what we got to do. We got to be, you know, punk, man. We got to blah, blah, blah. See, and that's so cool. Like you, you got that in high school and college. It sounds like, like you kind of understood that earlier. Some people just walk into a room to be in a band, to be cool and get chicks. Mm hmm. Right. And the people that if that's really all the motivation that's there, then they might like come up with something. I don't know. They might come up with something that people like, but they can't stick to it. I mean, that's the thing. Bands that just kind of put out basically the same record every time don't last very long. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And again, Pearl Jam is the complete opposite of that. I don't know. Going to the uh, to the lyrics and stuff, I think that, uh, you know, the first line, you'll be going out with radio, going out with disco, going out like Bacchanal. Is sort of the, you know, you're just copying what you're hearing on the radio, you know, you're just doing what's uh doing what's trendy or whatever and you know partying and all that sort of stuff just trying to to get popular and everything and then i don't i don't know how that you know goes to the next line it's like i'll be going out with telephone going out alone to the radar zone but uh well (laughs) sometimes you just got to find a rhyme oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean he figured out the rhyme scheme so that's kind of like oh you know well i do think that uh this shows too right so and you can map this on to every member of Pearl Jam, but obviously we're kind of talking about Stone today because of this song. But he, think about like the breadth of, think about how hard it's become. I mean, 
you can do it, but it's become hard to just know if it's a Stone song anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like because he's not rewriting Alive and Even Flow and and these these huge songs from the beginning that he was kind of in charge for in charge of, and I like that a lot. Like I like that um, you 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 look at his his contribution to their catalog and okay obviously you have a live even flow those early bangers but and this becomes subjective i guess but for me it's like but then you have that's the same guy that wrote fatal Mm -hmm. and that's the same guy that wrote mankind and then you can keep going down these lists of his songs and it's just like holy shit i mean yes they're all very stone but if you've never heard stone or pearl jam before like you would think that these are possibly completely different guitar players for each song yeah and i feel like mike's the same way it's harder and harder to tell if it's a mike lead or a stone lead (laughs) you know what i mean like you Mm -hmm. it's harder and harder to tell and i love that because that means that they're still influencing each other you know what i mean yeah and that's where that comes you can kind of tell the you can kind of tell the uh, the stone bridges though. Mm-hmm. You guys like, oh, that's got that that sort of stone vibe where it kind of just like flips it all around, but it all it still fits yep. in there. And yeah, I mean that's the thing. That's that's the you can have that much variety, but he's still got his fingerprint on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you know the band and you know Stone, like people like us that that play and and we're in bands and probably played a lot of Pearl Jam songs when we were younger. You can really hear the change in the growth in his playing, you know, mm-hmm. especially if, you, if you're going to nerd out and get into things like Brad and other side projects. If, if no one told you that Brad was started by a member of Pearl Jam, you'd have, I mean, that doesn't sound anything like Pearl Jam. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. And I think that um, Stone was saying that he did, uh, that they kind of recorded Don't Give Me No Lip before they recorded this song. This song made it on there, though, and I believe "Sunburn" is also from that same session, or the the same, or from mm-hmm. the the No Code era as well. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, man. Like you were talking about with the lyrics earlier, um, you know, to me, just as a like a quick thought, if someone said to me, "Oh, but did you know the other contender was uh, Don't Give Me No Lip?" I'd been like, "What the fuck? I love that song so much better than Mankind." Or I did at the time. Mm-hmm. But if you dig into the lyric content, and if it really is talking about, um, you know, the, the fucking clingers and the fakers and the um, people that are just copying, right? Um, yeah. Then it makes total sense because No Code was not happy fun time for Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was not like the... Uh, it was a pretty dark time, it sounds like. So... Again, that just goes back to they didn't make the decision because maybe more people will like Don't Give Me No Lip. They said, no, that song doesn't fit into the theme or the vibe of this record. Yeah. Even if it would be a more popular song, we don't give a shit. Mankind's the one that fits. Hold on, I'm looking up the lyrics for Don't Give Me No Lip. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder... I've never really like dissected the lyrics to that song before, you know? <laughs> You know, this isn't a don't give me no lip episode, but no. this is sort of a, a stone uh, for sure deal here. 
Well, I think from reading the lyrics here on the page in front of me, he's definitely trying to get across that he doesn't want anyone to give him no lip. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's that line is just repeated 50 <laughs> times. Yeah, I think that might be sort of the, it's like, ooh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it is so funny how much, cha- I never thought about that before. Just as a listener to the song, and I'll sing along with it, mm-hmm. and I've never thought about the f- fact that 90% of this fucking song is just him saying those four words over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It could kind of go with that, um, with the sort of theme of, I don't know, the the sort of trying to cast off the the shackles or whatever of their fame and everything like that, too, the, the, the don't give me no lip. Which is a double negative. So does that mean he does want lip? Yeah. <laughs> hey. Good point. But that's um, not how, for, yeah, for uh, all the English majors out there, I know that that's not how double negatives work. <laughs> it doesn't mean the opposite. It accentuates the, the thing there. So <laughs> Exactly. Well, I do think, though, that, I mean, to take it a little bit seriously, you know, I think they both come from, again, a place of frustration and and saying, I'm fucking over it, whatever it is, right? There's a sense from both of these songs that there's some brood anger under there. And in one song, he handles that by hitting you over the head over and over and over again with the same line. It's a little, it's much more like, uh, a direct punch to the face with it, whereas mankind is kind of a, comes across more of a, as a tongue in cheek kind of way to deal with what he was frustrated about. But there is it does seem to be a connection from the two since they're written at the same time yeah. or around the same time. Yeah, what's got the whole world faking is sort of uh, everybody. I don't know, just not being real, not being their authentic selves. Is there do do you think that as someone who plays music that uh that authenticity even exists because Ooh. i know that you know you're up on stage it's like well i'm kind of playing a part you know i'm being this sort of person who's like in a band and everything like that and my lyrics could be you know like about how i really feel or whatever who i really am or they could just be words that rhyme and trying to write a story or something. So, I mean, you have like a costume that you could, you know, dress up when you put on, when you go on stage, th- whether it be, you know, big, huge Lady Gaga stuff or just, oh, yeah, I'm going to wear these jeans and this T-shirt and look cool. But, you know, that may be what I wear every day, but it is still like a sort of costume. It's how you're presenting yourself. Yeah. I'm going to totally butcher it. But what you're saying, or I guess since this is... uh uh, you know, a Pearl Jam '90s thing. It's that you, uh, in singles when he tries to hit on Kira Sedgwick for the first time, and she does the he does the a I could a you know do this, b do this, or c just be myself. I chose c, mm-hmm. and she was like, and one of his things was you know should I have an act? Yeah, and she basically said, well, I think your act is not having an act. Yeah, yeah, right. So you. You do get caught in that, right? Like, from the idea of authenticity. So there's this weird thing that happens when you have to get on stage, whether that's as the the literal voice and front person for a band 
or you're a hired guy for a band, whatever it is, you, on some level, you're probably getting hired for who you are, but they do expect a certain thing on stage, right? So that makes it a very different thing in and of itself. Like, Eddie can get up on stage and act however the fuck he wants to act every night because he built the ship with the guys. That those that group of guys built the ship, and so they can do whatever the fuck they want, right? But if you're someone that truly loves music uh, and someone's hiring you to get up on stage and help them kind of, um, you know, support the vision for a record or whatever it is, it doesn't matter how I feel that day as an artist or as a person. My job is to get up on stage and emote and help make the fucking thing work. You know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. I think the authenticity part, you're just using that as one example. I think that's the X factor that people always go back to with bands or artists that really make a long-term kind of stamp in the timeline of music history, right? Like Pearl Jam is one of those bands. They might not be in the press all the time, all that kind of stuff, but they sell out huge shows, huge rabid fan base. And we could talk about, it is fun to, I love, obviously I have a fucking Pearl Jam <laughs> podcast. We, we can talk about whatever, but the reason why we're talking about it is the authenticity, I feel like. And it's really hard to put your finger on that. I think it it morphs and it looks like different things depending on the situation you're in, right? Because Eddie Eddie's doing a different job when he's on stage, even though it's his music, than the job that he does when he's in the studio or his little home studio or his little reel-to-reel and making weird demos and throwing down little ideas. But they're all there to serve the, the the bigger picture, and you know somehow the authenticity comes out in all the little decisions that they make. So, so what do you what do you think, or do you think that um, people didn't see Pearl Jam as as the cool one out of those sort of uh, the main Seattle bands, where you know everybody was about Nirvana, and sort of they were the ones who got super super huge, whereas Pearl Jam did get you know, super huge, but I know like a lot of people are sort of like, oh, they're the mainstream guys. Mm. They're just trying to get popular. Right. They're just playing classic rock. Maybe it's just the uh the jadedness of the of the nineties and wanting to be yeah, you know, counter to wanting to be uh uh oh, what the hell's the word? Um just kind of um oh what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> it's uh, probably the same word. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, contrarian, maybe contrary. Yes. To everybody. Yeah. Uh, I think that was, well, right. You look back on again with hindsight, you look back on the nineties and it's so easy to see. I fell into the same thing that everyone else did, which was, you know, it's funny. You asked the question about the first time I heard Pearl Jam and kind of when I, when I think about that experience, but one of the things that happened with bands like Pearl Jam is that some of the 80s music that I liked, I just liked it because I was young and I didn't, it was just what was in front of me. So did I like some of the quote unquote, what we would consider hair bands and stuff like that? Like, yeah, I did when I was in maybe fifth grade or whatever. But 
and this kind of unintentionally goes back to the authenticity thing, but once I heard Zeppelin, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, um, which led on to all these other bands that weren't Seattle, but still that 90s period, like Stone Temple Pilots, tons of other bands. For me, in my head, something clicked where I was like, oh, oh, this is the real shit. This is, or what I consider, this is what I'm looking out of, uh, this is what I'm looking for out of music, right? There's a sense that even though the whole kind of punk, even if they aren't playing punk music, the cult, they had this punk fuck you to fame, stardom, confusion about the thing, that very thing is what made them famous, right? The fact that there was these bands that were like, fuck all this bullshit. We think it's horseshit. Yet they're all trying to get big. None of, none of them can tell you that they weren't trying to get big. Nirvana was trying to get big. Yeah. Right? Uh, Stone, for example, wanted Pearl Jam to be fucking huge. He wanted every band he was in to be huge. Yeah. And that's... That gets kind of confusing, I think, for for young people that are trying to make art. That's a hard path, and that's why you get people like Uncle Neil, right? You need Eddie had to find the old guard to help him try and figure out how to be the new guard the right way, right? And and Pearl Jam wasn't as popular right away because they were still open about being earnest. And I think that was the thing that all the other Seattle bands were kind of trying to stay away from, right? They were all kind of thumbing their nose, uh, but even in their music. And I, don't, and I don't think Pearl Jam was doing it in the same way as everyone else. I hope that makes sense. But No, kind of, I think. <laughs> Let's see if I can uh, say this a better way. I, ca- uh, I kind of see. What, I I, I kind of see what you're saying. But other, other if other people listen to this, they're probably they probably kind of get that too. Maybe I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I did a really poor job of explaining all that, which is <laughs> totally possible. Um, I don't know. You can you can leave that in or not. It's fine. <laughs> no, that's fine. Like, what, what what do you think is different about the earnestness that Pearl Jam had? Than uh, uh, and all that that the other bands didn't have or didn't exude in the same way then or well well think about that word maybe this will be a better way to say it when I hear the word earnest right mm-hmm. like I th- I do think of eighties actually I think it's a different kind of earnestness but these those kind of like fluffy eighties bands like if you look at like Poison or Warrant. Or like they were seeing very like if 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 Poison wrote a love song, it was the sappiest, most sentimental, earnest. I am so in love with you type of sad sack ballad, for example. Right. That's that's very earnest. Mm-hmm. And there was something about the 80s where that of course there was goofy shit in the 80s, too. Right. But in terms of like rock and roll, like people playing guitars, bass, drums Everything was so like, we fucking mean this so hard. And then Nirvana comes in and says, fuck all that. It's all bullshit. Being earnest is is hard on your sleeve horseshit, right? And so they changed the tide on that. So then there was this, for me anyway, this period of time where 
the way Pearl Jam was earnest seemed more still connected to the 80s type of earnest. And that was not, that shift happened. And mm-hmm. so I took, but they stuck with it, right? They, they kept writing these huge, big, earnest songs that we still love and connect to in ways that I love Alice in Chains, but I don't connect the same way to them on a, on a personal songwriter level as quickly as I do with Pearl Jam. Same with Nirvana. It's all couched in this we don't give a fuck thing. But I feel like Pearl Jam kept the earnestness of we give a shit about what we do and we're trying to like our fans. I think that's what I mean, if that makes okay. more sense. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least to me. I don't know about <laughs> anybody else, but... Yeah. Again, you can cut <laughs> half of my shit if you want to, man. It's fine. No, no, that's all right. That's part of one of the things that puzzled me about why nobody wanted to talk about the song just because there are these sort of questions that come up in it that's like ah you know nobody wants to talk about this you know nobody or you know that's that's just what i like to talk about the this this, this sort of stuff and it's kind of like ah no no we'll, we'll talk about the other well <laughs> songs but well you probably feel the same way um i mean i think having a podcast on this specific subject does change things right because i think you've i mean you've done enough episodes right where you i don't know man like what else is there to say about given to fly mm-hmm. or alive or or corduroy i mean i love talking about those songs but i don't everyone listens to those songs and loves them if they're listening to a pearl jam podcast the chances that they don't love even flow or better man is really probably pretty small right but Mm -hmm. when you do a podcast and you have to dig into so much i find um you know to your original point like but when i saw mankind you needed someone for mankind i was like see that's more interesting to me i have a more personally i have a stranger kind of relationship to that pearl jam song like i never didn't like uh what's another huge pearl jam song give me one that i haven't named just give me um, one. The, 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 um, a rearview mirror. mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, I've never not loved rearview mirror. The first time I heard it, I loved it. The 50th time I heard it, I loved it. The If I'm on my 360th listen of that song, I still love it. But songs like Mankind, some of the songs on Lost Dogs, that, like, I didn't love these songs and there was a process to learning how to love those songs uh and that's more interesting to talk about to me so i don't know that's part of the reason why i kind of jumped at kind of what seems like an obscure song to talk about mm-hmm. yeah and there are the people who are like oh no i want to talk about that obscure weird stuff the weird uh mm-hmm. you know ramblings <laughs> from the- right sure it's the stuff you want to figure out man mm-hmm. the other stuff makes, t- yeah, makes yeah. too much sense you know so then did you have a sort of um, roadmap to how you got to appreciating this song or was it just being uh, just f- forcing it <laughs> being like, no, I love this band. So I have to love everything about it or no, it's never <laughs> been that. I mean, there's stuff that I definitely, I, you know, quote unquote, don't like. I mean, I even think they're but I think their biggest turds are still better than most bands, period. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. For this song in particular, though, it it's interesting. I don't know 
what your experience like this is with other people, like other guests you have or um, listeners of the podcast. But I think for me, when you, you know, when I do a podcast and it's the first time, you know, first time me and Brad talk about mankind and I'm just like, ugh, gross, fuck this song. But then you get <laughs> feedback, right? Like you get um, Brad will pass along a Facebook message or an email will come through and it'll be like, man, I was really surprised that Lions hates mankind so much and here's why I like this song, right? You get you, you get that like kind of conversation. You're not in a in a bubble anymore. And so all it was is like for a period of time, I was like, all right, I'm going to give this song another chance. And I purposely listened to it for, I don't know, on and off for a couple of days. And that was fine. But then I found myself not only not skipping it if I listened to no code, but I found myself driving down the road and singing along with it just like it was in my tree or something. Mm-hmm. It just kind of there's something about getting to hear other people's experience and perspective about a song um, that can really kind of like open you up to to finding things that you love about it that you couldn't see before. So that was kind of with this song. That was the process for me. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the community of it all of of uh, you know like music and yeah. everything and right seeing. Other people's like, oh, you like that song? How could you like that song? It's like, ah, well, maybe there's there's something in that that you just don't get, and you know, maybe it's not for you, and or maybe you you find the little uh, the little uh, pearl that's hidden along in that. I mean, that's the fun about it, though. Is like that's why we can do all these. You know, I don't know how exactly how many. I don't know if you have like a. I didn't see like a episode count on your on your podcast. So I don't know how how many. How many episodes have you done about Pearl Jam at this point? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like 80 something or something that's just about the songs. Something like that. Right. That's a shitload of content, dude. Oh, yeah. Right. And we're at, uh, obviously, we have a different format, but we're at like 146 or something now. So both of our podcasts have tons of episodes. And. It still doesn't seem like there's really a shortage of things to talk about because it's all subjective. Once you get the conversation going, then it's just fun. Mm-hmm. You know, you you do find out people that like people. <laughs> one of the big things that like in podcast world happened with us was how much shit I got. We did an episode where we ranked the, the at the time 10 Pearl Jam records in our order of kind of like most important to least. And I had 10 at number 8 out of 10, mm-hmm. right? Some people got really mad. Some people thought it was ridiculous but kind of funny. Some people don't give a shit, but it keeps the conversation going. And you find out other things through it. And luckily, Pearl Jam fans, for the most part, I don't know what your experience has been, but they're pretty sane fans, man. <laughs> like, they're not, like, we have not had a single email that's like, fuck this person or what a troll or this person you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. everyone even if they disagree so hard that's what i love about going back to the community thing is that there's still a sense of like oh man i totally disagree with that but it's cool you know what i mean like we're not gonna not be friends over it um and that sounds so stupid but some people really get bent out of shape about stuff with bands you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm I just kind of look at it as like, oh, I just love them, and let's 
talk about it and have fun. And obviously some people take it a little bit more seriously, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, I think the, just the hope that, uh, the negative people are sane and just are like, Oh, I don't like this. So I'm just going to exactly. stop listening to it. I'm not going to yeah. make a big deal and be like, Oh, I'm going to write a letter and say, how dare you? Blah, 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 blah. It's just kind of like, Bleh, whatever. And delete or whatever that you never know. So it's it, it, at least, uh, that's, that's what I, I hope in everything because it, it, it'll, it would spare my feelings. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want to read negative mm. comments. So, yeah. Well, it's just about, it's super simple in a way. It's like, be reasonable, just be reasonable, right? Like you can tell me how you feel. You can feel strongly about it, but just be reasonable about it and everything's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that just kind of works in life, right? Yeah, if you're making a scene saying, I'm not going to wear a mask, blah, 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 drag me out of here. It's kind of like, Psh, if, right. <laughs> just don't come here. Right. Then. Right. That's all you got to do. Right. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is like to get in a conversation with that someone that's that adamant about something like that. Like, I don't even want to. I mean, this is probably part of the problem in society, <laughs> my reaction to this. But uh, part of me is just like, you know what? I don't, what a boring conversation to have with someone. Like, if we're going to have a conversation about something like that, like, I don't know, I don't even know how to start that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just wear a fucking mask if you go into a public place. No one's, sorry, I'll not rant about this, but <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't know, man. That's I don't, I don't, into it in this stuff. you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't feel like anyone's infringing on my right as a goddamn American if it's going to keep, when I walk into the grocery store to, to grab, you know, another thing of eggs mm-hmm. that I just wear a mask and use some hand sanitizer and be reasonable. Right. Like it's not that hard, man. No one's, I don't know. I th- I just think it's such a weak kind of argument. I don't know. Whatever. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that you got about this song that you want to say? I think that I kind of got through all my stuff that I could think about. Well, the, just from a guitar standpoint, like I love that a lot of Stone songs don't have leads. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, and I know he's not the traditionally the lead guitar player, but just most of the time, I think that's what I love about them too. Is it's such like the prototypical thing to like be a guitar rock band and need to always have blistering mic solos, or even when Stone started kind of treading in those waters more um actually around this time probably or vitology yield yeah um fuck i just forgot what i was saying again not having uh leads oh no guitar player uh yeah no 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 leads um that the stone really does he he's it's about the song and not being about a guitar player that's Mm -hmm. why he's great he didn't write i don't know that he maybe he did with the early stuff but Actually, he probably did. You don't write a, a a riff like alive and not think, oh, like you're not. You've got to be trying to write one of the biggest guitar riffs in history, which mm-hmm. he did. But the fact that he can kind of leave that behind and just really, you could see him honing in on song structure, whereas in the beginning, uh, including lyrics and melody. Whereas in the beginning, you can hear it in those demos. That's that's. 
a band with one or two, in this case, we know it to be Jeff and Stone that were kind of the musical leaders at the beginning. And they were just writing these instrumental pieces of music without seemingly without any idea of what a a melody or a lyric could be and sending it off to this person and it worked. And then when they got Eddie in there and he started contributing more to the music part of the songwriting, playing guitar and stuff, he, which I'm sure was hard for him, he backed off that and he adapted his writing to be more about fitting um, the voice in his band rather than him just trying to achieve another alive level riff. You know, I love that. I just, I love that about Stone in general. That's the only other thing I would say is just to kind of kiss Stone's ass, (laughs) kiss Stone's ass a little bit more because, you know, he's one of the huge, even more than Mike at the beginning. I've always loved Mike. Um, but at the beginning, man, it was Jimmy Page and Stone Gossard. That's why I wanted to fucking play guitar. Yeah. And to me, he's he is one of the best guitar players because he's so well rounded, not just as a as a guitar player, but as a as a songwriter and just in general a musician. Yeah. So I'll, I'll see like videos and stuff like that, like people playing like leads and everything like that, or people's like, oh, you know, can do this, play these scales and whatever like that. It's kind of like, okay, no, yeah, that takes some talent and mostly practice and stuff like that. But I mean, it's a whole nother level when it's kind of like, it's like, okay, yeah, sure, you can do that, but can you write a song? Can you right. put this stuff together and make it into something that, you know, stands on its own and not just you know copy somebody else or whatever it's it's putting something from your soul and then your ability to to play music that that allows you to create an actual song yeah for sure man i mean that's i mean that's that's huge it's it's um it's i don't know if this analogy will make sense because again i'm pretty limited in making analogies you know i really only know about music you know what i mean <laughs> but it's it's that thing where you mm-hmm. know you hear i get all kinds of different um levels of experience through a studio like this right and you get into conversations and and someone's saying something like you know listening to a bon- a, a bonham track from a zeppelin song that's kind of iconic or whatever whether it's like w- when the levee breaks or good times bad times with all that like that single foot double kick shit and and you, you hear people go, um, or I've heard people go, oh, I can do that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can do it, but you didn't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you weren't the one in the room that knew how to do that. And, and especially in context, you know, to kind of like drive this specific analogy into the ground, like Bonham was not like any other drummer at that time. Like, people our age... You know, he was, I was two when he died, I think, right? So they were always classic rock to me. But once I learned, when you start listening to what other drummers were playing at the time, I mean, it's just not, he's an alien, right? And so it's not about the chops. Who gives a shit about the chops? It's about the part you wrote. Anybody can play when the levee breaks, man. Like, you can write that out. That's so simple um, if you're a drummer. But can you make it feel like John Bonham did? No. That's that's the difference that I think sometimes people miss. 
Yeah, and then bringing it back to the uh, to like the song, the simulation, faking, all that yeah, sort dude. of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah, point. we did it. We brought it back. We brought it back, <laughs> dude. You took my Saturday afternoons rambling and made a show out of it, dude. <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> we've we've won. I'll take that. Hell yeah, man. So then to wrap it up then, uh, is there something that you think that other people should do to try to spread kindness and humanity out there in the world? Man, unfortunately my answer is so simple, but I really believe it. And at least this is what I've seen that works in my life, which is I think I can get caught up in big maybe emotional movements and periods of time, especially um, with everything that's been going on, there's been a lot of time to reflect. But I think the long-term thing is, as cheesy as it sounds, is I try and remember when I'm around other people that I have no idea what's going on in their lives. And no matter how they're acting in that moment, um, everyone's got shit and... I just try and enter into my interactions with other people from a place of giving people the benefit of the doubt, not taking things personally, and just being able to be kind to them in a moment. Because I know uh, perceptions of what someone's life is, we all know that they don't actually really line up, right? So I think the biggest moments in my life that I think back on that someone did something kind or put me on a positive path were actually very, very simple things. And so I just try and keep that in mind when I'm, whether it's a friend or someone I've never met before, just trying to approach it from that place. And it, I think it kind of spreads, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a very like personal level thing, just the general assume positive intent and be kind. Yeah, and and you know you said that it's simple or whatever, but sometimes the the simple stuff is good because you might overlook it, like those little, the first steps you have to take of of anything in life. Really, they're you know some of the things that are are the easiest ones to forget. Just like kind of like okay, you know, oh yeah, fasten my seatbelt, do that thing first, or you know, and I was like, oh yeah, make sure you know brush my teeth in the morning before right. I go out. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, you know, you're thinking about the bigger picture sort of things like, oh, I got to do this and this. Oh, to contribute to these charities, make sure I'm yeah. going out protesting and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, sometimes you just got to step back and not get overwhelmed by all that stuff yeah. and just kind of go back to square one and be kind of like, okay, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people have their own lives. I have my own life. They're dealing with their own stuff and I'm dealing with my own stuff. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Because those things that you mentioned are also really important, right? Like... Um, people's right to protest peacefully and especially for something that so obviously needs to happen, right? Change that so mm-hmm. needs to happen. And those things are important, but wh- what does that mean if you're living the little moments throughout the rest of your days without that kind of initial just take one fucking... Like, humans are so naturally reactionary, or I am anyway. I'll just speak for myself. And just to take that extra second and kind of remind yourself that we're all, whether we want to admit it or not, we're all kind of in this together. And I want to be treated with kindness. So just remember to do that to everyone else. The end. Yeah. 
Thanks a lot for coming on, Brad. You got a, uh, a, a, a something you want to let people know about? I'm, I'm pretty sure anybody listening to this podcast knows about your deal, right? Well, yeah, we all know. I mean, it's such a small community. We all we all know of each other. But yes, in case you've uh, you don't listen to other Pearl Jam podcasts, me and You're my the other mom Brad listening and don't know who this is, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah, you can go to uh, it's single podcast theory is our Pearl, me and Brad's Pearl Jam podcast. My my dear friend Blazy and you know where to find podcasts if you're listening to this podcast. So, um, yeah, just look for single podcast theory if you're interested. Thanks for coming on, Brad. Good talking with you, man. It was really nice to like talk to you quote unquote in person. And, uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you having me on and I had a lot of fun, dude. Oh yeah, no problem. I got, I had to get this song done. So <laughs> damn right. <laughs> I wasn't going to say no. <laughs> yeah. We'll do this again. Maybe another time when it's like, uh, maybe I can grab one of my favorites or something, you know? Oh yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep you in the loop. Thanks man. The Better Brand Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email ListenUpReno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for a few purposes only under fair use. Subscribe to the Better Band Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at betterbandpod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B R A N D E N P. If you like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Brad and as always, this is Brandon saying, well, only one in two million people has what we call the evil gene. Hitler had it, Walt Disney had it, and Freddie Quimby has it. Thank you.